Welcome to the Red Light Report, your number one source for all things red light therapy, where you will learn how to optimize your health, wellness, and longevity with the power of photobiomodulation. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Belkowski. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Red Light Report. And this is a first time ever on the show. We have two physical therapists. So I think Dr. Tim Jackson and I might just talk about goniometry and uh, antalgic gates for an hour here. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Let's, let's, so let's carry on. He is uh, Dr. Tim Jackson is a doctor of physical therapy and orthopedic rehabilitation and a functional medicine provider. He holds a BS degree in health science and chemistry from Wake Forest University, and he serves clients in over 15 countries through his telehealth practice at www healyourbody.org and has helped thousands over the last eight years. Dr. Uh, Dr. Tim is the creator of the Heal Your Hormones Bootcamp for neurosurgeon Dr. Jack Cruz's membership community and has contributed to the book Diagnostic Testing and Functional Medicine by Amir Rosick. He has also been featured in the Huffington Post, the Bulletproof Executive, and Ben Greenfield Fitness Podcasts, and on multiple health and uh, medical summits, and is in two health documentaries. He serves on the medical advisory board for wellnessmama.com, a site with several million annual visitors, and for your second half, a foundation that helps athletes with their career transitions. Dr. Tim is available to comment on various functional medicine and wellness-related topics, such as digestive health, energy and fatigue, autoimmune disorders, and mold toxicity. So this guy gets around, he knows a lot, and I'm really excited to have him on the podcast. So without further ado, Dr. Tim, welcome to the Red Light Report. Thanks, Dr. Mike. I appreciate the uh, intro. I almost sound legitimate. <laughs> you're more than legitimate. You, you get on with uh, Dave Asprey and Ben Greenfield. You're in some big time spaces, so you know your stuff. And with that being said, uh, just give the audience and myself uh, a quick background on yourself. How did you come into the space that you're doing and with so much knowledge and expertise? Yeah, so I went to undergrad at Wake Forest University and went to Salem, North Carolina, and I was pre-med. I took all the requirements to get my MD, and um, I had great grades, but my during this uh, winter break of my senior year, I had a jaw surgery, and I was under anesthesia for over eight hours. And now, knowing what I know, it was totally unnecessary, not to mention it didn't help, but it took some things that, because I ate healthy and exercised and slept well, I had a, several issues that were subclinical, so the, I didn't have symptoms, but then the surgery made them clinical. I said, I'm going to take a year off before I go to medical school. And then during that time, I just you know did a lot of reading and thinking. One of the residents that I followed at the Wake Forest School of Medicine, he said, you're not going to get any of the stuff you like, you know, the nutrition, the functional medicine and the MD program. Just get a ticket to play the game, just get a doctorate in something in a healthcare related field. I kept reading about functional medicine all during my DPT program, and I knew I wanted to incorporate it. And then when I got out, I was just surprised at how little nutrition and wellness was discussed. You know, it was everything that I saw was reactive in nature. There was nothing proactive in nature. Ironically, my uh, PT practice is called proactive health. So I think we're on the same wavelength there. 
<laughs> um, there you go. Like we mentioned with your your bio, you've interacted with a lot of big people in the space. You know, Dave Asprey, Ben Greenfield, multiple times. But the one that really caught my eye was Dr. Jack Cruz because I absolutely love the information he puts out, the dots that he connects as far as health and wellness and beyond have really opened my eyes and have really made me more of a critical thinker prior to running into, uh, you know, his interviews and podcasts that he does and the information he puts out. And so with the bootcamp you put together, the Heal Your Hormones bootcamp for Dr. Jack Cruz's membership, let's dig into that a little bit because we know Dr. Jack Cruz is all about light, water, and magnetism. So he preaches these three in extreme depth. So let's just go into those a little bit, what your perspective is on it, how you integrate it with yourself and clients and otherwise. Yeah. So, I mean, light, water, magnetism. I mean, I've always, well, I shouldn't say always, but since, you know, for the past 20 years, I've known that, you know, your environment plays a huge role in your overall health and well-being. And so Dr. Cruz just kind of took that to a whole new level. And some of it I was familiar with vaguely, but not in the detail that he goes into. In terms of light, I mean, I think we've been so brainwashed to avoid the sun when it's such a critical part of not only our overall health, but our longevity. You know, we're going out putting on sunscreen with nanochemicals that are getting into the cells and are toxic and having negative downstream effects. So I try to optimize my light environment by using red light therapy. Um, you know, at night I wear blue blockers, turn off the lights. And I also sleep on a Magnetico pad, which is a, it's a 10 gauss pad, the one I have. that's meant to sort of recreate the Schumann residence, a little higher than the Schumann residence. EMF mitigation, you know, I have a defender shield on my phone. At the moment, I'm in an apartment, but when I build a house, it's going to be I want to have all the right specs in terms of EMF proofing. And that way, you know, you can do things right from the start. And I've seen, you know, great uh, results incorporating it with clients because, you know, if you recommend a supplement, maybe $70, you know, not everyone can afford it. But I mean, the sun going out into the sun is free, you know, turning off your Wi-Fi at night, free. I mean, hopefully you're not coding while you're sleeping. <laughs> I tell people. You know, we can't out supplement or IV or medicate a bad environment. And that includes not just the structural electromagnetic, but also your social environment. So people you know, who don't support your goals or match your energy and they're constantly sort of bringing you down. I tell people you have to edit your life. You know, the late Kobe Bryant would talk about. You know, it was hard, but he had to, in order to succeed and be great, he had to edit his life of some people very close to him because they were just too negative. Yeah, that brings up a lot of great points. First and foremost, we should probably bring up the fact that when we're talking about light, water, and magnetism, I think the focal point from the health and wellness perspective or from Dr. Jack Cruz's perspective is trying to optimize mitochondrial health in those three ways. You can either utilize them or harness them in a negative way, or you can obviously utilize them to your advantage. With that being said, you know, Dr. Jack Cruz has called himself a mitochondriac and his tribe mitochondriacs. I think you and I would fall under that as well. So from that perspective, 
and this might be a pretty geeky question, but what has you most excited about the mitochondria? What got you into that realm of health where you're trying to optimize your mitochondria for your wellness and longevity? Yeah, so um, I've been a big fan for well over 10 years of Dr. Alex Vasquez's work. You know, he's a DO, a DC, and a naturopath. He has a course and a book called Mitochondrial Medicine and just the different disorders that he connects. And I saw a chart and it had pretty much all the conditions you can think of and what was the common denominator that you could connect all of them with. And that was mitochondrial dysfunction. And so I tell people, you know, when you're thinking about optimal mitochondria, think about an Olympic athlete who's winning the gold, you know, a sprinter or a gymnast. Conversely, if you want to think about poor mitochondrial health, Think about someone in ICU with multiple end organ failure. A lot of times when we say energy, people think, okay, going to work out. But sleep is a very energy-intensive process. Us having an intellectual discussion is a very energy-intensive process. So I began to see energy very differently because it affects every system in our body. And if your ATP or energy currency is low, then your ability or that system to ability to perform is compromised. Yeah, and that that reminds me of Dr. Doug Wallace, um, considered the top mitochondrial research in the world. I mean, he says over and over again, obviously, the more energy you have, the more life you have. But the less energy you have, even at the cellular level, the more of a disease state you're going to have or the quicker you're going to age. And to your point, the less energy you have, likely the more mitochondrial dysfunction you're going to have. And same thing, the more mitochondrial dysfunction you have at a cellular level, the more dysfunctional that tissue is going to be, the organs going to be, the system's going to be, and you have enough of those systems compromised, you're going to have a disease, cancer, and, and die. So the root cause really does always come back to, to the mitochondria. And so let's talk about the various ways that our mitochondria gets bombarded from the environment. I mean, we have EMFs, environmental toxins, mycotoxins stress, whether it's physical or mental or, or otherwise, there's parasites, mold, nutrition. So let's talk about those various uh, combatants for the mitochondrial health or what can cause mitochondrial dysfunction and what can people do to you know, combat these stresses? Yeah, so they're all detrimental to the mitochondria, everything you mentioned. I would have to say in my experience, mycotoxins are some of the most detrimental. They block the NRF2 pathway, which is how we detoxify and produce antioxidants. So we have to lift that block, but it also activates something called a cell danger response, which you know most people have heard of the fight or flight response. So the cell danger response is kind of like the fight or flight response at the cellular level. We have to get rid of the threat, meaning in this case, the mycotoxin, or there can be infections involved, viruses, stealth bacteria, Lyme, and when they damage the mitochondria, it's referred to as a microbial mitochondropathy. Just means that the bug is damaging the mitochondria. And so you have to remove the pathogen and that systemic inflammation because if you think about our nuclear DNA, so the DNA inside the nucleus, it's protected by those histone balls. But our mitochondrial DNA doesn't have that protection. So it's getting bombarded constantly from free radicals. And so you have on the outside of the mitochondria and inside to a degree, glutathione and superoxide dismutase. And, you know, we produce some of those endogenously, 
But every time we're exposed to a toxin that we breathe in or we ingest, it uses up some of the glutathione and superoxide dismutase. In addition to that, you have certain genetic polymorphisms that will prevent you from producing optimal levels of those antioxidants. We talked about the mold. I would say metals is next. They damage the immune system. You know, in studies, when they expose neurons to mercury, they die. And, you know, I think the thing that gets lost in heavy metals when we talk about those is that I've never seen anyone with just one heavy metal elevated. Usually it's at least two, usually four or five. And heavy metal toxicology, we say one plus one equals 20, meaning that the effects are cumulative. Metals, you know, we got to detox them. And that's why detoxification, one of the reasons why detoxification is so important, because the metals are constantly damaging the mitochondria. And then when we talk about other environmental chemicals, from petrochemicals to medications, roughly 35% of all medications you know, that we have available are mitotoxic. A lot of times, if someone has surgery and they're having trouble recovering, it may not actually be this. I mean, certainly the surgery is a stressor. But it may just be that, you know, the anti or the anesthesia has damaged the mitochondria and it's taken some time to heal. Bringing up a point you you were talking about with the reactive oxygen species or the free radicals, isn't around 90% of the free radicals produced in our body from the mitochondria? So ironically, like you said, the mitochondrial DNA is getting bombarded by the free radicals, yet most of the free radicals produced are from the mitochondria. So it's kind of a paradox there, correct? Yeah, exactly. And that's why it's important. So you want to you know, feed the mitochondria and optimize them. But if you don't have the antioxidants, glutathione and superoxide dismutase, I call those the bodyguards of the mitochondria. And if you don't have enough of those and you just keep pushing, it's kind of like putting fuel in a Lamborghini that doesn't have brakes. And so it can be a dangerous situation. The other thing, Dr. Neil Nathan talks about this. Uh, if you have someone, you know, they react to everything, even supplements we know they need, and they can only eat a handful of foods. If you push their mitochondria, it's usually going to cause a negative sort of reaction versus a healing reaction because you have to take them out of that hypervigilance or hyper alertness state. I think you know, that's important to remember with the mitochondria and healing them, you know, it really it comes down to when you're talking about optimizing the mitochondria, getting the bad stuff out and putting some of the good stuff in. I see a lot of people and I've done it myself you know, you just try to put more and more good stuff in, but you really, you know, got to take the bad stuff out because putting the good stuff in, you won't need nearly as much if you get the bad stuff out. So let's dig a little deeper into that as far as taking the bad stuff out. So for example, and this is becoming a bigger and bigger issue as time goes on is black mold. Like uh, you kind of mentioned, some people are heavily affected by it while others are not. So this is kind of a, a loaded question, but for those who aren't affected by black mold, but are exposed to it, does that mean they're not having the negative health ramifications? Or does that just mean it's not going to show up until later in life? And then secondly, those who are ex exposed to black mold or other, you know, mycotoxins or or whatnot, uh, what is the best way to heal and detox from from those type of symptoms? Yeah, so I've been studying mold since 2009 when an MD colleague of mine gave me Dr. Shoemaker's book, um, Mold Warriors, 
And um, I've experienced mold toxicity myself, and I've worked with a lot of patients with mold toxicity. And, uh, you know, black molds, you're actually fortunate in that you can see it. And so you know to get out of it and address it in your body. But with, with people who don't react, uh, it may mean, so for example, your allostatic load, where you, know, you start out with a baseline level of stress. And a lot of times it's internal. It could be dysbiosis, some viruses, some heavy metals. And then boom, mold and mycotoxins push you over the threshold. And so those people who aren't reacting, it may just be that it's going to take a little longer and they have to accumulate a few more stressors before they respond. But, you know, I know Dave Asprey says, uh, you know, he keeps binders with him. So when he travels somewhere, if he suspects mold, then he'll take the binder. But I would say everyone's going to have uh, some effect from the mold. And most species of mold we can't see or smell. Take, for example, aspergillus. That's one that affects the immune system, but also the lungs. And so it can cause shortness of breath. And you don't see it or smell it. Behind me, I have an air doctor running. My parents have one in their house. And uh, my mom was cleaning her house and she called me and she said, you know, I don't have to dust nearly as much anymore. I said, good, that means it's working. A lot of places, especially in the Southeast where I am, they'll put up the framework for a home or office building and it may get rained on multiple times before the construction workers come back. And so you're already creating an environment that's conducive to mold. And to tie this into the work of Dr. Jack Cruz, we have the non-native EMF, so Wi-Fi, 5G. And according to the work of Dr. Dietrich Klinghart, Mold that's exposed to non-native EMFs produces 600 times more mycotoxins. And so, um, why is that? Ask, I don't want to interrupt you, but why is that? So it's basically, um, if you think about, like, I have a PEMF machine over there, and you can put in certain frequencies. Uh, I have a database uh, that will kill certain pathogens, and it's basically like grabbing the pathogen and shaking it. But on the other flip side, you can use them for bad. They feel like they're being attacked. And so they want to, you know, produce and excrete and secrete their toxins before they die or they think they're going to die. Does that make sense? Does that answer your question? Yeah. So does that mean like from 4G to 5G, that has an exponential effect potentially on the mold or bacteria while you're talking about yeah. it? Okay. Yeah, definitely. You know, I've worked with people who are multimillionaires and live in very nice homes, and they get upset when I have their home tested and it comes back positive for mold. But it's not indicative of the cleanliness of your house or your industrial hygiene or domestic hygiene. You know, if we do, if I did a urine mycotoxin test on you and it said, okay, these four mycotoxins are high, I couldn't say that for sure that those came from your current home or office. I could just say that, you know, some of them may have come from here. Some of them may have come from, you know, when you were back in your doctorate program, some of them in undergrad, some of them when you lived with your parents, things of that nature. But the best approaches to getting rid of them, a lot of people will say, okay, you got to move. But that's not necessarily true. And the companies that are ethical and legitimate They'll come in and test and they have cameras where they can see increased condensation behind the walls. 
That way you're not tearing anything down that doesn't need to be torn down. You want to have your ductwork cleaned twice a year. Some people will install a UV lamp at the beginning of their ductwork. And then I have an air doctor running. The air doctor is much cheaper and economical for people. You know, before that, I was using other brands that were much, much more expensive, but it requires getting out of the mold or having it remediated to decreasing the humidity. The humidity shouldn't be over 50% or it's going to be conducive to mold growth. Also things, this is going to sound really simple, but after you take a shower, you should leave the fan on in the bathroom for 20 minutes. Otherwise, it's going to be conducive to mold growth. And then certain binders. Um, I like to use Cellcore Sciences. Uh, they have some carbon-based binders that bind up mycotoxins, aldehydes, histamines, and getting the lymphatic system moving. So vibration plate, a rebounder, you know, stuff you and I know all about. Definitely getting those and then repairing any tissues that have been damaged. So working on bile flow, because if bile is stagnant, you're not going to be able to detoxify anything. And then red light therapy can help because it's increasing uh, nitric oxide and that's going to help with microcirculation. Those are all ways to improve or excrete the mycotoxins. And the last thing I'll add is that if you do a urine mycotoxins test, you want to provoke the mycotoxins. So you can use an infrared sauna, a liposomal glutathione, or go to a clinic that does IVs and get a glutathione push. But that gives us a more accurate reading of your tissue levels of mycotoxins. Okay, that makes sense. Those are all good suggestions. So outside of dealing with mold and mycotoxins, what about just on a general level, someone who's healthy, they're just wanting to optimize their health and be proactive. What are some suggestions and, and methods of detoxification kind of on a prophylactic measure? Yeah, so uh, one, you want to make sure you're having at least two bowel movements per day. And that's for the health of the microbiome and detoxification purposes. You know, if you look at animals in nature, they eat and 45 minutes to an hour later, they have a bowel movement. And so I get people, you know, that are having just one or sometimes no bowel movements a day. And so, um, you know, we definitely have to optimize that. But also our lymphatic systems are so congested these days. Some cheap, inexpensive ways that have multiple benefits, uh, not just detoxification, but vibration plates. You can get a decent one for around 300 bucks now or a rebounder even cheaper than that to get your lymphatic system moving because so mold releases something called oxalates and oxalates can crystallize in the lymphatic system. And when they do, it's harder to get the lymph fluid flowing. And so the vibration plate works better in those cases, really helps to shake things up, no pun intended. Prophylactically, in terms of detoxing, uh, some liver support, you can either pulse it, you know, where you take it for one month and off for one month and on one month, off for one month. Good probiotics, full disclosure, I consult for microbiome labs, but spore-based probiotics work really well. They 100% survive stomach acid and they help with detoxification by improving competition and phase three detox in the gut. And is the probiotic something you'd want to be taking kind of in perpetuity or do you want to cycle on and off probiotic? 
you can, if cost is an issue, you can certainly cycle on and off of it. But because we're bombarded by things like glyphosate and then stress, staying on it, if you can afford to, is a good idea. I think it's a good staple supplement. You don't have to cycle off of it, but you certainly can. And then using some form of prebiotic, like we have a product called Mega Prebiotic that has three oligosaccharides. And that helps increase the diversity of the microbiome and the number of keystone species. This podcast interview was brought to you by the Longev Revive Cream. If you haven't heard of this cream before, go back and listen to the podcast interview with David Horneck, one of the people that helped create this amazing cream. The cream is specifically developed to enhance red light therapy treatment sessions. And not only that, but improve vibrational healing from the frequencies of full spectrum sunlight. The Revive includes special ingredients such as photodynamic amino acids, which helps convert UV light to red light. It increases production of this thing called fibronectin, which is said to be the holy grail of anti-aging. And then there's astaxanthin, which has been shown in clinical studies to increase skin moisture, moisture retention, and elasticity. There's turmeric, which contains an antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, and antimicrobial properties. There's copper peptides, which also has antioxidant, anti-inflammatory effects. C60 has high antioxidant power to prevent skin aging, 172 times more than vitamin C. And then there's also geranium rose, shungite, humic acids. And most of these ingredients are organic and they're all high, high quality. So if you want to check this cream out, go to longev.com. That's L-O-N-G-E-V-V.com. Or you can also find it on biolite.shop. That's biolite.shop. And speaking of stress, you're definitely an expert in this area as well as far as balancing the stress with our autonomic nervous system. Of course, in today's world, everyone's on the go, 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 stressed about at least a dozen different things. So we're always in this fight or flight response and we have poor balance and really ability to stay in a parasympathetic mode. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on how to best fine tune and stay in balance with our autonomic nervous system, being able to tap into our parasympathetic more often, more easily. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, this gets into, I know you've talked about heart rate variability, but, you know, looking at that, you know, the best athletes in the world have very high heart rate variability. And so when ours is low, that doesn't look good for our lifespan or health span, but stress, you know, overall, I would say balancing your calming neurotransmitters like GABA so that your perception of stress is decreased, number one. And two, I think just based on the amount of stimuli we receive on a day-to-day basis, taking some form of adaptogen or adaptogenic herbs can be helpful. One thing that most people don't think about that I've kind of focused on a lot, you hear people talk about the vagus nerve. So you can use a tinge unit on the left ear at certain frequencies to stimulate the vagus nerve. But the maxillary width, so your upper jaw, the, its width, dentistry for the first hundred or so years focused on optimizing the expansion of the palate. Because if you look at nature in the wild, you don't see animals, and I'm not talking about domesticated animals, but you know, wolves and things with crooked teeth. And so you hear about people getting braces for the second or even third time, and that's because uh, you're forcing teeth into position in the jaw where it can't, it's not sustainable. 
And so optimal width for the maxilla is between 38 and 42 millimeters. I've studied a lot of biological and structural dentistry. And, uh, you know, there are appliances that you can use to, to do that and expand your upper jaw. But it's connected to your overall health because the trigeminal nerve that feeds the face, it sends information to something called the nucleus caudalis. And that's the exact same place that the vagus nerve sends information. And so if you're doing all these things to improve the tone of your vagus nerve and it's not working, then you might want to look to, you know, finding a structural or biological dentist who can expand your maxilla. Kind of ironic timing because I recently read a book called Breath by James Nestor and just interviewed uh, uh, Dr. Patrick Mc- or not Dr. but Patrick McGowan. So I, know, I think you know where this is going. But nasal breathing improves your facial structure. I mean, nasal be- breathing begets more nasal breathing, which helps your soft palate structure. That I think you're kind of alluding to um, having that correct size of your maxilla width. So is that another way that you would? Uh, purport is a good way to tap into your parasympathetic is consistent nasal breathing. Because I'll tell you what, within the past month that I that I read that book by James Nestor and talked to Patrick a couple weeks ago, I've been much more cognizant of breathing through my nose versus my mouth, uh, which I never thought of before, you know, those two variables. And so, of course, the path of least resistance is through your mouth, whether you're just walking and talking or, of course, exercising. But I've been, again, much more cognizant of my breathing through my nose during all situations, including sleep. And I track my uh, sleep and heart rate variability via a bio strap. And without a shadow of a doubt, my heart rate variability is up 20, 30% on a consistent basis, changing nothing else. I'm not exercising more or less. I'm not changing my diet. I've just been breathing through my nose and my heart variability has uh, shot up through the roof. So I have to think breathing, what you're alluding to, again, with facial structure, plays a massive role in being able to tap into our parasympathetic nervous system. Absolutely, yeah. So uh, one of my colleagues, she's a PA and a PhD in New Mexico, and she gave me six books. She said, Dr. Tim, I got homework for you. And she gave me a list of six books, and one was the book Breath. Another that I think the listeners and yourself would enjoy is called Six Foot Tiger three-foot cage, and it's talking about the tongue and the resting position of the tongue, but he gives case studies in there of things that you would think have nothing to do with the alignment of the jaw, but once they, and it's a protracted process, so if you started today, you know, he incorporates some myofunctional therapy, you know, working on the muscles and uh, soft tissues but that resting position of the tongue is super important because the optimal width of the trachea is 17 millimeters. And uh, when you affect the maxilla, you affect oxygenation of every cell in your body. There are case studies in that book, Six Foot Tiger, Three Foot Cage, where people's autonomic nervous systems were shot. They had hypertension, infertility, a number of things, and they had depression. And he talks about how your life, whether it's career-wise or in any arena of your life, it's going to be exponentially easier. If you look at pro athletes, for example, almost all of them, you can see they have high cheekbones and they're able to oxygenate their tissues better, right? These are things most physical therapists don't think about, but 
you can do all the manual therapy you want, but if you're not getting oxygen to that tissue, how's that going to help? Yeah, that's a good point. That's what when I read that book and talked to Patrick, it was another light bulb moment. Like when I learned dry needling, like when I learned about red light therapy, it's like, holy cow, all of us, we don't know how to breathe properly. Again, path of least resistance is through your mouth. This is something that should be taught like in elementary, middle school, learning how to breathe. Something so simple yet has so many dramatic and profound effects in our, our life and longevity. It's mind-blowing. Um, and like you're saying, it stretches all the way from just daily living to to high-end athletes. So yeah, that that's another good point. So with the soft palate, which I never, I guess, thought about till you said it, you want to have your tongue essentially resting up at all times that you can while your mouth is closed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's going to help help form that palate and help with the jaw, uh, the, the maxilla structure. Yeah. And it also has to do with the number of times we chew, you know, the number I've heard in functional medicine circles is 52 to 54, but most people, you know, it's like nine or 10. So I'll try to meet them where they are and I'll say, okay, let's get to 20. And when they've done 20 for a while, I'll say, okay, let's get to 30. And then, you know, that, and the fact that a lot of people don't breastfeed for long enough. And then my colleague also told me about a biomedical anthropology lab and they've studied past few generations and how the musculoskeletal system has changed. And so it's having transgenerational effect. And in that book, Breath, like you and I know, they look back at skulls from tens of thousands of years ago. Perfect facial structure, perfect bone structure of the jaw and the maxilla, no crooked teeth. And they didn't have dentists and they didn't have, you know, all of these amenities, let's call it. They were just living the natural world, doing things that were were natural to them. And they just had no issues uh, like we're seeing today with cavities, crooked teeth, soft palates being smaller and smaller, which makes nasal breathing more difficult and so on and so forth. So it's almost like we're, well, it's not like we are having to undo these, again, these stressors from the outside world that are kind of changing our physiology, changing our, our anatomy. So we're having to reverse engineer it back to where we can get back to optimal health. So we're almost like swinging the pendulum to the other side. We have all this cool technology. We have all these cool things. We're indoors. We have light. But at the same time, there there is a price to pay for all of that. So, But like you mentioned, I think, earlier in the podcast, some of the best things are free. Just getting out in the yeah. sunlight, grounding, uh, some cold thermogenesis, fasting. I mean, the simplest things may have the biggest and most profound impact. So another thing we talked about before we started recording was was water. And I was curious to get your take on different types of water and the impact they can have on your health and mitochondria. And one specifically I was curious about was, was the Kangen machine, which has a couple of uh, things that it can do. It purports it can increase the pH, which people argue have X and Y benefits. And then it also produces electron-rich or hydrogen-rich water which is another component where it can be anti-inflammatory, antioxidant. So I'm kind of curious, what's your take on the Kangen machine specifically? And then secondly, what can people do with their water to optimize it for their health and mitochondria? Yeah, so you know, most of what I've read about the Kangen machine and other alkaline water machines has been that they found the benefits are mostly from the hydrogen that's being produced. Um, so I have a machine that produces Brown's gas. So it's part molecular hydrogen, part oxygen, but it makes the water and then I have a nasal cannula. With the Kangen machines, you know, and alkalinity, the gut, most of the, if there are any pathogens present or 
Uh, if you change the pH, it changes the behavior of the bugs in the microbiome. You generally don't want to make it too alkaline because it's going to uh, promote the overgrowth of pathogenic bacteria, yeast, and viruses, and other microbes. When it comes to alkalinity or acidity, it's like real estate. It's all about location, location, location. Generally, you know, the standard American diet does make us too acidic. And studies that I've read that were done mostly by Dr. Alex Vasquez show that if we're too acidic systemically, and I don't remember the number he used to define that, but it will decrease our detoxification ability by up to 15%. I prefer getting our alkalinity from vegetables and fruits or superfood powders. I don't like jacking up the tangum water so where the pH is too high. A colleague of mine made a good point, and he said, you know, if you look at people who are dying or you know, on their deathbed, they're pretty much alkaline. And it also depends on the time of day. When you wake up, you know, you've been detoxing throughout the night, so you want your urine to be acidic. But ways that people can optimize their water one thing I noticed over the years in myself and in patients is that even though I was drinking, you know, half my body weight in ounces of water per day, I was still thirsty. And not to mention it was making me having to pee so much that it was very disruptive. And that's when I started learning about structured water. So I have a structured water device underneath my sink that um, creates H3O2, which is what our cells use. And so that's uh, definitely a way that uh, you can enhance your water and get it into the locations that it needs to be. And you don't have to drink as much of it. So as silly as this sounds, it's wetter water. Mm -hmm. From uh, Dr. Gerald Pollack, correct? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so the device that I have also filters the water and adds some minerals to it. But you and I were talking about actual you know, filters that are specific to just doing that job. And we talked about the Berkey and a colleague of mine, she works on a few projects with, she was in that movie, Erin Brockovich. And so she studies fluoride and her county, I forget which county in Florida, she had cystic acne and she did research and found that that county had put the most fluoride in their water. And so, you know, she moved and changed her water and the acting went away. And so uh, detoxifying it is one thing. And then, you know, just restructuring it, that helps. And then in my experience, I'll tell people that the bottles that you buy and plug into the socket, and it's supposed to create molecular hydrogen, it doesn't create an appreciable amount that you would notice a significant difference. And I've had one, the researchers I've talked to said, yeah, they, you know, just don't create enough potency, but the molecular hydrogen, what makes it so unique is it's small enough to get into the mitochondria. And previously, the only thing, at least I learned in school that could stimulate the production of new mitochondria was aerobic exercise. And so molecular hydrogen, people say, oh, you know, it's a fad. There's not a lot of research. There's actually a plethora of research. Most of it just happened to be done in uh, Asian countries. So versus getting one of those, you know, uh, electrical hydrogen uh, bottles that you're talking about, are you suggesting something like hydrogen tablets, um, something that produces much more hydrogen? 
Yeah. So the tablets and, you know, you would want to put it in something like this clean canteen bottle and let it dissolve and then drink as much as you can when you have the top off and then put the top right back on because you don't want the concentration to decrease. Uh, and then if you find that you receive a lot of benefits from the molecular hydrogen, you can, the machines are actually pretty inexpensive now. I paid, I think, 2400 for the one I have, but I know there's another one for around 1000 Mine came with goggles, so you can plug, um, there's a little outlet on the goggles, and the guy who invented the machine, he's in Canada, but he wore glasses for almost 60 years, and then he started you know, wearing the goggles an hour a day for eight months, and he no longer needs glasses. So what are the goggles about? So the goggles just send the gas directly to the eyes. Oh, wow. Versus inhaling it through the nose. You know, they all have different benefits. And it even has a, a skin little suction cup, too, that you can put on the skin for healing and sort of exfoliation. But um, the Brown's gas has been a game changer for me. I noticed my lifts go up in the gym. I recover faster from workouts. I'm stronger now. I just turned 40 and I'm stronger now than I was when I was 21. So what is that machine that you have? It's called an Aquacure. Okay. And I don't have any financial ties to it, but it's made by a guy named George Wiseman in Canada. The company is Eagle Research. That machine, you know, can make the water. You have the nasal cannula and then the goggles. So, you know, they all have different benefits. I try to drink two large cups of the water on an empty stomach um, per day. People are used to caffeine sort of energies. This is more of a subtle, sustained energy. And uh, if you have a lot of imbalances or injuries you're healing from, it's gonna, your body's going to shunt that ATP to those areas first. And that's something else I wanted to mention. You know, So one of my mentors is Dr. Kendall Stewart in Austin, Texas. He's by training, he's an EMT and now, you know, does integrative slash functional medicine. But um, he talks about how uh, 9% of our body's mitochondria are in the brain, but they're consuming around 22 to 24% of the oxygen we consume. And so you have a little bit of mitochondria doing a lot of work. And so brain fog, memory loss, concentration issues that's one of the first places you'll notice mitochondrial dysfunction. Second place is usually the heart. The heart is very rich. And I know of, I don't know him personally, but I know of a cardiologist in the Midwest who measures VO2 max, like on a treadmill or a bike test, to see improvements in mitochondrial function. With his hydrogen treatment? Uh, so uh, I'm not sure what all he uses to treat the mitochondria. I think he has a multifaceted approach. You know, he'll measure a baseline um, VO2 max, work on mitochondria for three months, redo the test. Gotcha. Bringing up the points about the, the brain and the heart being so mitochondrial dense and requiring so much oxygen, uh, that beckons a question from me. What, what's your opinion on hyperbaric oxygen therapy or chambers? And do you use one personally? So I used to treat in a clinic that had three heart chamber hyperbaric units, which were, you know, like a hundred and something thousand each. And we would get referrals from all around. I mean, for things like infertility um, to, we had, we worked with uh, Fort Bragg, 
we had some veterans who came in and one guy said, you know, he had a shoulder in a sling. I said, I'm not going to touch your shoulder, but I guarantee you'll have about 10 to 15 degrees more external rotation within the first four days. And sure enough, he did. And I was lucky enough to co-treat with an MD who had done some post-doctorate education on, you know, what settings, because we could go all the way to three atmospheres or a little over three. That's how deep you can go safely. I've used a soft chamber a few times, but I've done a total of about 80 dives at 2.8 atmospheres. And it's very good, but you have to also make sure you're maintaining your gut health because most of the bugs, 98% or more in the large intestines are anaerobic. So, you know, in the heart chambers, you could choose a DVD and watch it because you're in there for 90 minutes, but I would notice gurgling sounds in my stomach. And so you want to make sure you don't kill off, you know, too many commensal species. Gotcha. That makes sense. And I wanted to ask this question before you got too far into your water information, but when you're talking about how alkaline water, you know, can disrupt your gut microbiome and, you know, gut bacteria, you know, when we're talking about the the Kongen machine or other machines, but Robert Slovak, you know, who's really into the water space, I think he said multiple times that he's not a fan of, of those types of machines because it doesn't make it through your stomach acid. So if you think you're drinking a 9.5 or a 9.0 pH water, well, it's not even getting through your stomach acid. So it's actually not having any effect on your body or physiology at all. And so I'm curious, do you agree with that? Or or do you have information or research that supports it doesn't make it through and it, that pH does disrupt the GI? Well, just thinking through the physiology, I think it would depend on whether you're drinking it with a meal or on an empty stomach. Because if you're drinking on an empty stomach, you're, I mean, of course there's acid in your stomach, but not a lot. And so I'm assuming some of it has to make it through. I just know people I've worked with who uh, have done extensive work on their gut health. You know, when we get their test results back, it doesn't reflect that. And of course, it's not just one thing. There are other things. And I don't want to bash the Kangen machine. I think, you know, certainly if people are drinking soda, then drinking water from a Kangen machine is going to be a huge improvement. But yeah, I mean, it's interesting that he says that. I think with protein, it also depends on the macronutrient composition of the meal. So protein requires more stomach acid. And so if you're eating a very high protein rich meal, then he's probably right. And then you're drinking the can of water on top of it. Gotcha. You got, yeah, that brings up a good point about how much stomach acid you actually have presently when you're drinking the water. So I guess you're saying with the Kangen machine, if you have it in neutral, that's probably the best thing because then you're getting the hydrogen rich or electron rich water with the anti-inflammatory antioxidant properties. And that's probably your best bet. Yeah. In my opinion, I would think so. Gotcha. And then quickly here, before we run out of time, let's talk a little bit of red light therapy. You you alluded to it earlier, but what's your experience with red light therapy personally? You know, how did you learn about it, start using it? And what have you noticed with yourself and any patients uh, that you've integrated it with? Yeah. So I started, you know, reading about it back in 2015, around then. Uh, it wasn't terribly popular then. But, you know, from the reading and studying I've done, you know, it was used in hospitals up until, you know, like 1960-something or 70-something to expedite wound healing. But when I started studying the mitochondria, 
you know, it was a natural thing to look into red light therapy. And myself, I've noticed uh, better workout recovery and also just uh, improved mood. You know, if I hold it out here and doing, you know, 15 to 20 minutes a day, you know, some of the teams I've consulted with, they'll have a room and they'll have four units on the wall and they'll have players, you know, rotate. But I, I think that the cytochrome oxidase, working on that and the nitric oxide, if it all it does is improve blood flow, then you're improving nutrient delivery. But, you know, the more energy you have, the easier it is to heal. A lot of people can't heal and think that they aren't producing enough ATP. I was sort of out of the orthopedic space when I got into red light therapy, but I will recommend it to people, you know, with orthopedic issues. And, you know, I say, don't tell your DPT or your DC, just do it and see if they notice. And almost always they do. That's right. Yeah. With its anti-inflammatory properties, helping reduce pain, like you said, pro-circulatory, helping improve range of motion potentially in anyone who's in PT is recovering or trying to heal in some capacity. So like you said, increased ATP production. And really, I don't know how much you've looked into the photobiomodulation research recently, but of course, with your uh, expertise on the GI and, and autonomic nervous system, there's been some pretty interesting research as far as being able to directly stimulate the gut with near infrared light and that actually increases the proportion of good bacteria to bad bacteria you know if you want to call it that which can then indirectly or directly have an effect on your mood so i mean yeah. as the research comes out and like you know there's just a a laundry list of different types of research for different health conditions related to red mm -hmm. light therapy and i think as time goes on we'll just find more and more ways cuz there's mitochondria in every single cell except for red blood cells, is my understanding. So that makes sense that from the evolutionary standpoint, the bacteria that compose our body are used to being exposed to light and sunlight on a consistent basis, which is not what we're doing anymore. We're doing the complete opposite. And so we're, we're missing out on all those key nutrients and all those key downstream effects, neurotransmitters, growth, repair, and all that stuff, because we're depriving our, our cells and our mitochondria you know, of the full spectrum sunlight, which includes red and near infrared light. So Right. Again, we're reverse engineering problems we're, we're, we're causing, and thus, that's why we have red light therapy machines. If we were getting full spectrum sunlight on a consistent basis, we might not even need them as much. But so, yeah, I appreciate you sharing your experiences there. Lastly, Dr. Tim, if there's anything that you haven't mentioned that you would like to mention now, what, what are some things that people could do today? What could they implement uh, to help improve their mitochondrial health and longevity? So uh, the vagus nerve, vagal tone, one way to activate that that's free, as long as you have a bowl, cold face plunges. So you fill the bowl with ice, cold water, so that it ends up being between 38, 44 degrees Fahrenheit. And there's some great instructional videos on YouTube that multiple people have done. Basically, the mechanism is it activates the diver's reflex, and that's going to improve vagal tone which will improve peristalsis. So all of our healing, and actually most of the time, we should be in a parasympathetic state. You know, if you look at high-level athletes during competition, they go sympathetic, and then as soon as they're done, they're back parasympathetic. Getting stuck in traffic, arguing with people, financial stress, not sleeping well, all of those things are putting negative stressors on our body. We know from the research that 
just two to three minutes of psychological and mental stress will begin to slow down, dial back the mitochondrial ATP production. So how frequently should people be doing this? The cold face plunges at least once a day. And I'm told, I haven't you know, investigated the research, that it's also great for skin health. I uh, find that people are more compliant with that than doing the bathtub ice baths. You know, because if you do the face plunges and they experience benefit, then maybe they'll, you know, move into the the baths. But sorry, what were you going to say? Well, no, that's like dipping your toes, but instead you're dipping your face into it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I'm just guessing that the skin health was from causing that immediate vasoconstriction for a temporary duration. And then once you're out, you get that huge reperfusion, that huge increase in circulation. So like blood flow restricted. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Interesting. Well, yeah, that's good food for thought. So everyone start or head out and do a face plunge right now. But Dr. Tim, last question, where can people go to learn uh, more about you and more from you and if they want to work with you? Yeah, so my website is https colon backslash backslash healyourbody.org. And um, I'll send it to you so you have it um, for the show notes. And uh, you can contact me through there and it'll get sent to my email. And um, I'd like to extend a 10% off on an initial consultation if they use the code Dr. Mike in the subject line. Awesome. Yeah, we'll, we'll put all that information in the coupon code or the discount code in, uh, in the podcast show notes. So appreciate you uh, with that offer, Dr. Tim. Um, yeah, thank you for having me. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. I love uh, spending time with other people who are so excited and, and passionate about this, you know, um, alternative health biohacking mitochondriac uh, space. So it was great talking with you and learning from you. And again, Dr. Tim, appreciate your time. Thanks, Dr. Mike. I appreciate it. My pleasure. For Dr. Tim Jackson, this is Dr. Mike Belkowski signing off another exciting episode of the Red Light Report. Everybody have a marvelous week. Thank you for listening to the Red Light Report. If you like what you heard today, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes and other podcast platforms to help spread the word so other people can learn about the many health, wellness, and longevity benefits of red light therapy. If you're looking for more educational content, check out our Instagram page at biolite.shop and our YouTube channel, Biolite. I'm Dr. Mike Belkowski, and I'll see you on the next episode.